Please welcome. Welcome to another episode of Unmet Need, hosted by serial founder, CEO, Jeff Smith. Your number one podcast for healthcare innovation. Jeff and his guests tackle the biggest problems in healthcare and share their experience building successful businesses in medical device, diagnostics, therapeutics, digital health, and so much more. This is Unmet Need, hosted by Jeff Smith. Welcome to the next episode of Unmet Need. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and today we are joined by David Cash, founder and managing director of MedVest Capital. MedVest is an early stage venture capital firm investing in medical technology. So Dave, first of all, welcome. And please tell us, what is MedVest Capital? MedVest Capital runs a uh, couple of funds that invest in early stage medical device and technology companies. We've been at it for uh, close to a decade now, and we're an early stage investor, so we tend to be very closely aligned with founders and entrepreneurs and try to support them through the process of building a business. Great. What problem are you really trying to solve? At a high level, you know, our focus has been pretty consistent from since day one, and that is improve patient outcomes. Closely on that goal's heel is decreasing cost of delivery of healthcare. Lastly, as we look at, at products and services, we always try to put ourselves in, in the provider's shoes and make their lives, occupations um, easier and reduce the risk that they're exposed to. Yeah, I mean, so those are some pretty big problems. I think patient care, you know, improving clinical outcomes, those of us in the healthcare space, kind of we all share that goal. And, and then reducing the cost is something whether we like it or not, it has to happen because there's finite resources. When you think about the product or service that you're ultimately selling, who is your customer? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a loaded question and sometimes a tough one for VCs to answer. Fundamentally, our product is growth capital. The way we sell it and it really aligns with, with what we are and what we do, we're a service business and our service is really supporting the founders and entrepreneurs and trying to teach them, teach maybe the wrong verb, but communicate with them, partner with them to give them a framework to develop a strategy. And we believe that it's strategies that, that really guide the journey that, that those folks are on. And they change over time as, as our experience together over the last seven years. It's a service because We've done this more than once, and most founders, especially early stage med device founders that aren't professional managers, maybe they've done it once before, been part of it, but more often than not, they tend to be first timers. So we feel like they can benefit from our experience. And that runs from, you know, the nuts and bolts of of compliance to uh, recruiting and what we've learned there org structure, financial strategies, raising capital. Raising capital is probably the single biggest problem we face in in the medical technology space. Evaluating teammates, that's certainly on a personal level, often the most challenging for founders and entrepreneurs. And, you know, some of these are very tactical in nature. Others are much softer. It's hard to figure out where these technologies truly fit in. And so the, the strategy needs to be clearly defined, written down and managed towards. And you know that, that's what we try to provide is that service 
you know, the amazing part is it's usually done between 9 p.m. and 1 in the morning, you know, and, and that's when my phone starts to ring and when the problems are often arise. But in, in the environment we're currently in, you know, I, I read a great quote recently from Jamie Dimon, who's clearly one of the better bankers of our generation. And he said, you know, in this environment, it's not the time to figure out who you are. And a lot of early stage companies, they don't write down who they are or what they want to be. So when times get tough and in early stage, there's more tough times than great times. It's not the time you want to be figuring out who you are. It's best to, to maintain, to work towards the strategy that's been created and just pivot as constraints require it or as opportunities arise. There's a lot in there. That's great info. I want to come back to, because one of the things you said that certainly resonated is as a med tech founder, often we have three customers. There's the patient, the ones that are receiving the most value. But a lot of times we have this dynamic where we're selling our product to the hospital or the surgery center, but the decision maker for the product is the physician. And so if you think about your customers and how there can be this dichotomy, you know, it sounds like one of your customers is clearly, you know, folks like me who founders trying to figure out how to do this job, uh, know who they are in good times and bad times, and, and then really just trying to take, you know, a solution that's early stage and find where it fits. But how do you think about your other customer base, which is the limited partners that trust you to manage and allocate their capital? When we think about our LPs, you know, we, we think a lot about risk and return like every other investor. In medical device and medical technology, probably the word that comes to mind the most is patience. Where we invest with folks, we go in, you know, a five-year deal is a fast deal for us. Generally, our investments require two, three, four rounds of additional capital and can take between three and five years to manage towards an exit. Another thing we think about is we try to communicate what we do to our LPs. The power curve in med tech investing is flatter than other VC arenas. By definition, how much of the world has a given disease state? And, you know, our experience together has been in uh, cervical spine disease and how do we treat that and improve outcomes among, you know, and as we've started, our patient set at, at Providence has gotten smaller and smaller. It's still a very large market of nearly a billion dollars. Nevertheless, how many people on the planet have cervical radiculopathy? So that is our addressable market. And, you know, as we look at each of our companies, we have a peripheral investment. Again, we have to define how many people on the planet, but specifically in the U.S. where we're focused, have peripheral arterial disease. The answer is a lot, and it's staggering amounts of dollars, but it's not one out of seven. You know, we are not a social media investor where we can have a nearly unlimited financial return. So how we offset that is patiently making sure that you know we have more wins than losses and that's how we need to invest you know our investments again take a lot of time they need to be designed well one of the things i, I think my biggest learning experience and it's it's just a general trend in the healthcare industry there's been a, a movement 
really for the last 15 years, but you could argue it's longer than that, among, there's just been a lot of consolidation at, at the largest part of the industry. The large strategics that play in every space and in every space we invest in, there may be eight companies, there could be five, there could be 12, but there's a very finite number of companies that provide the care to about, give or take, 80% of the patients. And that industry trend continues. There's more consolidation among the bigs. So if our companies try to replicate the business models that are entrenched, usually they'll go broke. We don't capitalize well enough and nor do we have ever achieved the mass to commercialize the same way that others do it. So what we try to preach is differentiation. And that can take a lot of forms, but you know, clinically a well-defined trial that provides provocative, differentiated data to a clearly defined patient set, that's great. You know, we made an investment almost a year ago now in a telemedicine firm that has a breathing device that helps patients with panic and PTSD. And when we invested in it, you know, telemedicine was candidly a liability. The coaching that's provided to help patients through the treatment period of about 28 days was a telemedicine delivery. And it had to be. It was the only thing economically that made sense. In the current environment we're in, the focus on telemedicine has swung from a liability to an asset. And that was the fundamental bet. And it's doing great. But it was a, a clear differentiation to the standard of care in, in cognitive behavioral psychology. And that's what our businesses and our investments need to focus on. If, if these companies are trying to do it the same way of the major strategics, it's generally not a recipe that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot that I want to come back to and unpack in that. But for a lot of people in the audience, you know, we're primarily our audience, which is small but growing. It's founder types like me. It's investors. And often it's executives, leaders, aspiring builders. And venture capital is something, which is why I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. A lot of people don't understand how VC works. And so, you know, I want to speak a little bit later about, as a customer, the unmet needs I have as a founder. And, you know, the spoiler is it's a lot more than capital. And I think one of the ways you've differentiated MedVest and you specifically as an investor and director is really knowing the needs of the founder. And you touched on some of the things like company has to know its purpose and they need to know who they are with an identity because there is inevitably going to be some shift to the plan, whether it's you know, an exogenous event like COVID-19 or the assumptions that you went into the business, either in a clinical trial or in a commercial effort, they just didn't pan out. You really have to have a clear identity, and, but also what you need is partners that recognize you're a human being, they recognize how hard you're working, they give credit to your teams, these people that you've worked really hard to recruit and bring on to the mission. And for the audience, Dave Cash is one of those guys that knows how to do that. And you know, I've said that over and over, the calls on the way into the office or after a big meeting where feeling really excited or really down. One of the unmet needs founders have because we tend to get excitable and have a lot of emotion. It's probably one of the things that fuels audacity to, to pursue some of these challenges. Having a level-headed partner that can stay in the middle when it's uh, up and down. So I appreciate that. I do want to acknowledge it because you know we've been lucky enough to work with a lot of investors and people do that in different ways. Some investors and VCs don't view their role quite that same way which I think is an opportunity for MedVest because while your product 
often that you're giving to the customer, which is the founder, is capital. Capital is ultimately a commodity. And so the service that comes along with it is a real point of differentiation. So for the audience that doesn't know how VCs work, when you started off, you're a young guy, you're like, I'm going to be a venture capitalist. How does one go about raising a VC fund? Where do you get the money? And what's your pitch to the people that have capital to allocate to your fund? You know, my experience was I was an entrepreneur, um, several different areas, but I focused a lot on surgery centers and medical office buildings when they were going through their growth period in the early 2000s. I understand a little bit about reimbursement and the importance of reimbursement and driving decision making. We exited those business lines and I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare. And by happenstance, my now partner was a, uh, a mid-level executive at a startup, uh, also in, in the spine space. And we were connected and, and we, I just started underwriting that business. Interestingly, that business had kind of a me too product that was going to compete with uh, some of the bigs out there. And it was based on a reusable instrument set that I found really difficult to scale. And then they also had a very novel technology. And so immediately identified that I, I wanted nothing to do with the, the Me Too product, but I was really interested in this um, new tech that they had. And so we took a long time and, and I got to work with this individual. We could never get the financing done, but I, I realized I wanted to work with them. And so I approached them and said, hey, sorry, this didn't work out. What if we did this at a slightly larger scale? And he was very interested in doing that. And so we formed a partnership. And, you know, one of the interesting parts about MedVest is I represent the largest individual investor uh, in our two funds. And, you know, obviously our risk profile is very high because of that right now. First fund was about $7 million. Second fund was about $12 million. So we have about $20 million under management. And our investor base includes about 65 different limited partners, primarily high net worth individuals. And, you know, the pitch that they've, that resonates generally with them, healthcare is a, a huge industry, you know, right? It generally represents about 20% of our spend as a country. It is also an industry that needs technology to reduce the cost and inefficiencies in the space. And that presents an opportunity. So that with the constraint of patience, because our investments take a long time, but they provide very handsome returns in a relatively lower risk uh, environment than some of the other VC specialty focuses. That's what we pitch to folks. And it's, it's allowed us to raise $20 million. And um, you know we will probably start raising MedVest 3 when we get a little more certainty in the world at large, and we'll, we'll continue to put that money to work in uh, you know, companies that, that do it. We have to improve patient outcomes, and that's easier than said than done, because in the US, a lot of our outcomes are, are, are really pretty good. So it's challenging to find, it can be challenging to find applications for products where there's not just a marginal improvement from 96 or 97% efficacy to 96 and a half, you know, that, that doesn't interest us. What we want are, um, are true paradigm changing techs 
that address a very specific need in a large patient population and that we can clinically prove that. They also need to reduce the cost and reduce the risk. And you know that's worked for us and it resonates across our investor base. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for that. I think it's helpful for people to understand how that works. And when I think about some of the things you just said, you have these investors, whether they're institutions or high net worth individuals, and they've been able to accumulate an amount of capital like everyone, they have to allocate it in some way. Venture capital as an asset class is riskier because you're investing in these game-changing technologies that have all sorts of risk. And so the expectation, as you've described to me in the past, is that they want you know above market returns. And so for the limited partner that trusts you, you know, with his or her capital, they have a high expectation for return. And so I can imagine it's difficult managing their expectations and also the patience that you're talking about because med tech does take time. And so that's not easy to do. And and congratulations on having that much capital under management because it's not easy to get started. You mentioned another need that you have, which I think for the audience, it's important to know is that even though Dave and MedVest have been able to raise this capital and are looking to make investments, it's not easy to find them. Having founders that you have backed, and not just with capital, but support and an empathetic ear, encouragement, I think in venture capital, one of the best sourcing partners you could have are the founders that you've already backed. So, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I'm interested, and I know the audience, I suspect the audience will be. Give us a quick snapshot. You know, where'd you grow up? What were some of your early interests? And, you know, how did they form who you are today? I, I call D.C. home. I was raised really on both sides of the Potomac River and, and Virginia and Maryland and, and lived there through about the eighth grade and then moved to Philadelphia for high school and bounced around quite a bit after that. But in, in some ways, it was great. I, I got uh, to see a lot of different geographies and, and make a lot of friends, really primarily on the East Coast from kind of Ohio East. I played a lot of sports, was very, very competitive growing up. And Ended up playing uh, a Division One sport in college until an injury forced early retirement there. But, you know, was very privileged growing up, had uh, a lot of opportunities to travel, to experience different things, had a very hardworking set of parents that were committed to their kids, very high expectations, but a lot of support along the way. That's great. What do you think it is about playing sports that, you know, you find useful when you applied it in your early career and ultimately start a venture fund and invest in med tech companies? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we may have had a conversation along this, along these lines at some point. Reflecting on it, I, I actually think there was a good bucket and a bad bucket. The good bucket for me was largely around the, the work ethic required to excel and both the intensity and long-term nature of it. You know, it, it wasn't, you could just go out and go hard for 15 minutes once a week and, and you'd be good. It took a, a very committed and extended level of discipline and practice and doing the intangibles to exceed. I, I happened to be on a team sport, but I played a very individual position inside of that team sport. And that is that experience has lended itself well, especially on on the investing side, where I'm part of a team here at MedVest. But largely, once our investments are made, there tends to be an individual champion for them, and the responsibility for the the performance of those investments is largely on individual level. 
At the same time, one of the, the more challenging parts of sports is they tend not to be in a, in a co-ed environment. And, you know, as I think about some of the behavior that was tolerated from beginning to end, it wasn't acceptable, candidly. And it, it's not something that I, I promote. And, you know, the concept of boys will be boys is, is just not an appropriate mantra. So, you know, and I think we deal with this in, in med tech and med device a lot. When, you know, we look at, at gender participation, where is it and what's happening, you know, inside of, of healthcare and some of the specialties, it's a real issue and one that we're trying to be very focused on to improve. So I hope that helped. No, I think that's great. I'm glad you mentioned some of those really important topics because as you and I've discussed before, I agree. There really is no place for that. And I think if I reflect on my own experience, some of that kind of camaraderie actually is teaching the wrong values and a lack of emotional intelligence, certainly not empathy, which not only is the right for me, the way to be a kind human being, but also the data suggests it's a way to deliver business results. What I love about sports, you know, many of them you touched on already, is you have to, you really have to be committed for the long term. And you have to, even if you're playing a largely individual role as part of a team sport, you need to learn how to work with others. And everyone, you know, they have their own egos, their own goals of what the, the outcome of the game means for them or what achieving in the sport means to them and their story. So all those things are amazing. And then one of the benefits I've seen is, you know, if you're lucky and you play long enough, you get exposed to some great mentors and coaches and some of the people that have been critical in developing my views on life and competition. Aside from having great parents, some of my coaches were, were those people for me and great mentors. The role of gender equality and inclusion is such an important topic because, again, the data shows organizations that not only have diversity, but value and promote diversity, they also have better performance. I think about how competitive I was as a kid and, and continue to be, and I've given a lot of thought to, like, where does that drive come from? And, you know, last episode was starting with why and what does it mean to achieve? What does it mean to, as an investor, to find the right company, back it, and then have a great outcome? How is important? You know, we, we all want to be successful in order for MedVest Capital to, to sustain its existence. We have to provide above market returns to our investors. You know, the importance is the ability to identify characteristics and trends and identify them early. There is a Goldilocks path that generally makes the most sense. And, you know, and, and a question I'd ask to you if I was hosting this, once you define where your organization is going, how do you avoid distraction? Yeah, well, I love the question. And I think a lot of it has to do with this balance you're talking about. Because whether it's youth sports and trying to win at all costs or trying to figure out your identity on the fly, whether in a time of crisis or breakaway success, the Jamie Dimon quote says, that's not the time to know who you are. For us at Providence, the first thing is that we've tried to understand is what is our purpose? What are we trying to do? Why does this company exist at all? Forget financial metrics, growth, sales, products. 
And for us, we want to improve patient lives and avoid surgical failures of the cervical spine. And it's a big one. And we could be at this for 100 years. And our mission, which is to establish circumferential cervical fusion as the standard of care for the high-risk market. But it's a multi-year mission. The way we try to block out some of the distraction is by adopting the objective and key results process that becomes the foundation of our annual operating plan. At Providence, it's in the form of four objectives. Each of those has three or four key results and they're measurable. And so throughout the year, when things like COVID-19 happen, yeah, we have to, we're in crisis, but we're not confused about what we're trying to do for the year. And so one of our objectives is to continue to bring on new surgeons and help as many patients as possible. And that's always going to be a focus of a growth stage company because we need growth. It's also core to our mission to be the standard of care. So when something like COVID-19 takes place completely out of our control, we have to react, but we also know that we have an important product launch and how that serves our greater mission of becoming the standard of care And so we have got to launch that product. And so we're adapting and we're on schedule. We also are doing an important IDE study where we're going to demonstrate circumferential cervical fusion for three level patients is superior at achieving fusion than ACDF alone. And so yes, we're reacting to this exogenous coronavirus that's out of our control and we have to do things to adjust, but we know the core importance of the study. And then the fourth objective has to do with how do we manage our human and capital resources such that we can continue this journey. And so it really comes down to being focused. So yeah, I, I appreciate the question. To wrap up, we'll end the interview with the vault. So the idea of going to the vault is I'm going to ask you a few questions. The format is relatively rapid fire. So first thing that comes to mind, who is someone? Could be a teacher, a mentor, a coach, partner, a friend. But this is a person that saw your potential, maybe before you did, took an interest in your development and provided consistent encouragement throughout your life and career. I, I would have to say my father, who was a, not only my dad, but a longtime business partner. You know, he, he came from nothing, was, was an incredibly tough corporate executive uh, rising up the ranks and, and just uh, unflinching in his commitment to uh, the strategies that, that he and his team put out um, and has at the same time just been an um, unwavering supporter of mine through thick and thin. That's excellent. And since starting MedVest, what's the biggest new healthcare problem that you've seen and can't stop thinking about it and think it's something that has to be solved? The concept of, of relationship sales it's just incredibly inefficient and we need to move towards a better, a more economical and a more equitable sales model as an industry. There's a lot of parallels to the financial industry that have evolved over the last 20 years. But as we move away from relationship sales, from industry to surgeon, I think we will see a faster evolution of quality of care and a faster decline in the cost. All right. Last question, Dave. What is your biggest unmet need at MedVest? The biggest obstacle we face right now is is going from high net worth individuals as our limited partners to uh, large family offers and institutional investors willing to commit to eight eight to 10 year holds on their investment. It is a difficult chasm to cross and it's 
a lot of my focus is on the strategy to cross it. Thanks for going to the vault with us, Dave. In summary, throughout your life, your father's been unwaveringly supportive. Biggest unmet need that you see uh, as an investor in MedVest is transitioning from relationship selling to a more efficient commercial model. And largest unmet need at MedVest is finding ways to cross the chasm from high net worth individuals to institutional capital. So thanks so much for the time. Really enjoyed it and look forward to future discussions. Thanks, Chef.